Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. The Unified Development Ordinance governs land use and development throughout the city of Bloomington planning jurisdiction. The UDO became effective on April 18, 2020. The UDO is the primary source of land use regulations for the city, including both zoning and subdivision control ordinances. The UDO is also drafted based on guidance from the adopted comprehensive plan. The city's planning and transportation department is the point of intake for petitioners proposing to build new or renovate existing property within city limits. The planning and transportation department staff also staff a plan commission which has final approval authority on many site plans. Some residents felt the new ordinance could pose a threat to traditional single family homes. However, city officials say the UDO's goal is not to threaten single family zones, but to create a balance of diverse housing options throughout the city. To help us understand this issue better, we have invited Vox Booker of the Monroe County Human Rights Commission and Dave Warren, founding partner at Cardinal Analytics and Planning Associates. Gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, gentlemen, to start things off, let's uh, acquaint our listeners with you uh, a little better. Uh, we gave our listeners your titles. If you could tell us what it is you do in your roles, and uh, that should bring everyone up to speed. So, Vox, we'll start with you. Thank you. I'm fortunate enough to wear several hats in the community. Uh, I'm on the Human Rights Commission for the county. I also, for the last two years, have chaired the county's Affordable Housing Commission. Um, that's kind of directed at looking uh, at housing solutions throughout the county. Uh, when we say affordable, we mean something that's affordable to everyone at the price point. Uh, and so the goal of that commission is to increase affordability throughout the county. And another thing I've been fortunate to do is uh, work with Hotels for Homeless. Uh, for the past few months during the pandemic, uh, we kind of created a, a grassroots organization that is focused on housing for solutions. Uh, we literally take uh, folks who may be experiencing homelessness uh, and place them in uh, hotels for an, an undetermined amount of time uh, and make sure that they're receiving the services they need to get back to stable housing. That was a very important service that was uh, referenced in the uh, daily news not too long ago when we went through our sort of uh, period of uh, really bitter uh, cold temperature. Um, people were worried and rightly so about the homeless who were outside and exposed to the climate. Um, Dave, can you share with us a little bit about your role and your capacity as uh, the founding partner with Cardinal Analytics? Oh, sure. That's actually just sort of a little side side job I do on the side to do some um, some consulting for, for nonprofits and, and government organizations. Um, what I, I the other thing I do is I, I teach a class at uh, IU's O'Neill School, 
of Public and Environmental Affairs. It's a class called Urban Problems and Solutions, um, which is essentially a class on local government. And so um, I get to uh, teach, you know, anywhere from 70 to 200 undergrads a year about uh, things like zoning and capital investment and city budgets. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I am also on the county's uh, environmental commission, and I'm part of this organization with, with Vox Neighbors United of Bloomington and Monroe County, uh, where we are seeking uh, broad systems level changes that would make housing more inclusive and affordable uh, and sustainable uh, for folks in our community. Okay, we, we gave a brief definition of the Unify Development Ordinance. And I have to tell you from time to time, there are topics discussed in the news that just fly over everyone's head. And unless you're, you're paying real close attention, you don't really grasp the significance of say some new initiative that the city's launching or the county's launching. So I'd like for you both to sort of uh, explain to us truly what the UDO is, its impact in the community. And then we're gonna talk about just different elements uh, within that uh, uh, ordinance. Clarence, let, let me jump in there real quick before they get started, because you're reading my mind. I'm going to ask you just to pretend like I don't know anything about it, never heard about it, and, and let's go from there, if you don't mind. All right. Actually, I think you're telling us the truth, Wayne, that you don't know a thing about this. <laughs> Box, do you mind if I start? <laughs> go ahead, Dave. Okay. And I appreciate that question, because I agree this stuff is complicated, uh, and it's stuff that I think most folks just in their everyday life don't think about you hear zoning and your eyes glaze over but the udo um simply is just it's the city's zoning law um and what zoning laws do in in bloomington or any other jurisdiction in the united states is they tell folks where uh where they can build certain things and, and how their property can be used it's it's really as simple as that like if anyone has ever played that game sim city where you you know turn a bunch of squares color on a map and then houses pop up or businesses pop up or industrial um, companies pop up. It's kind of like that, except in much slower, slower motion. Um, and so most cities zoning ordinances, Bloomington included, um, tend to prioritize the most expensive type of house available, the detached single family home. Um, in Bloomington, a majority of, of, of land that's zoned for residential um, houses is, is uh, zoned only to allow that type of house. You cannot build anything other than a, a single, single family home. Um, it's like that here, it's like this in big cities, it's like this in small cities. And research over the last few decades has shown pretty clearly that um, when you do that, when you prioritize the most expensive type of home, you end up with these really inequitable housing outcomes where um, you know, if, you can't, if you can't afford to own or rent uh, housing in a community, you end up having to go further and further away from the city center, sometimes outside the city. Sometimes you, know, you have folks moving outside the county in order to uh, afford, afford housing. Um, and so uh, the changes that are proposed to the UDO, changes that are, pro uh, that are proposed for the city zoning ordinance, would make it, they would put more modest, more affordable housing types like duplexes and triplexes on an equal playing field with the detached single family home, um, which over time, you know, over a period of decades would allow more affordable housing types to be built throughout the city. Um, so that hopefully in 2040, you end up with a situation um, that's a little better than it is today where we see 
you know, we see residential housing segregation cropping up in the, uh, the, the way our uh, elementary school classrooms are composed, and we can talk about that uh, in a little uh, in a little while. But housing just intersects with with everything we do in society: education, law enforcement, opportunities for jobs, um, and so these these changes proposed to the city's uh, zoning ordinance are intended to achieve more equitable outcomes on on all of those things over time. Hey, Vox, could you chime in? So as Dave mentioned, uh, the, the UDO is kind of the guiding document for the city that allows you to build anything. One of the things that's important to understand about it is uh, in most municipalities, it's only updated about once every 20 or so years. So it's a longstanding document and a lot of its impact won't be felt necessarily today or even this year, but over the next decade into the decade after that, uh, it will guide the course of the city and uh, determine what type of city we become. Are we going to be a city that becomes more dense, uh, that has walkable, vibrant neighborhoods? Or are we going to, uh, like we've seen in some uh, metropolises, start to sprawl out where you see more and more flight from the city center uh, because of uh, lack of access and unaffordability uh, and people start to move out into the county and into that fringe zone. Uh, and that's bad for the environment. Uh, and it also creates a lot of uh, unequitable outcomes. So on the surface, um, when you talk about uh, diversity and, and affordable housing, quality and housing, this seems like a good thing on the surface. But in our opening remarks, we did mention that some residents felt that this UDO could be a threat to traditional single family homes. What do you know about any specific or particular concerns or reasons that uh, homeowners would be opposed to this? Uh, are we talking property values uh, and more so than anything else? So there are a number of um, of criticisms of criticisms of this or or some fears associated with this. Um, I think, first of all, I, I just do want to mention that, you know, if you own a single family home in any of these neighborhoods, you could keep that home as it is for the rest of your life. Uh, if you want, that's totally fine. And most people will do that. Um, the, the changes proposed would simply allow you, if you wanted to, uh, to convert your single family home into a, a duplex. Uh, let's say your, your parents are getting older and they would like to sort of age in place with you. This is something that, that would allow you to do that. Presently, you can uh, just buy right. You could knock uh, in some neighborhoods, you can knock your single family house down to studs, put up a new giant single family home uh, and sell it for you know four times what uh, it was originally worth. And this is happening throughout the city in a lot of these neighborhoods. Um, and so I, I think some of the fear is, is that possibly a misunderstood notion that if zoning changes, then I have to give up something. Uh, but it's just not true. It just allows people to, uh, you know, build a duplex if they want or convert their home to a duplex if they want, but nothing has to change. I think some fears are that what you will see is um, maybe people selling their single family homes and then the buyer converting it into a duplex or triplex or quadplex or whatever ends up being, being allowed. Um, but the nature of zoning is that zoning creates changes over decades, right? And, and you talked about 
the city's comprehensive plan. A comprehensive plan is, is the tool that a city, really everyone in the city participates in developing this comprehensive plan that is supposed to guide a city a city's decisions going out 20 to 25 years. And so our current comprehensive plan looks at Bloomington in 2040. And then the two tools that cities use to achieve the goals of comprehensive plans, they're, they're zoning and capital investment. So telling folks where and, and what they can do with their property on the one hand, that's zoning and then capital investment, you know, paying for things like parks or schools or fire departments, things like that. So those two tools are the tools that, that cities have um, to achieve these long-term goals. So uh, Dave, let, let me get in there real quick uh, yeah. <clears throat> before you leave me in the dust. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. You said that the UDO allows people, would allow a homeowner to convert the residence to a multi-unit. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Does it well, also- the proposed, the proposed changes. Okay. Uh, the proposed map, and then there's a, a text amendment to the UDO that would allow things like duplexes to be built by right, just like um, single family homes are allowed to be built. Okay, by right. so it also allows uh, builders to come in and put up, uh, it goes beyond renovation of an existing home. Does, does it allow builders to come in and, and put up uh, additional multiplexes, which would, which would uh, justify homeowners concerns because then you add density there's uh, parking issues, there's traffic issues. And you're talking about in a part of the city where there's not a whole lot of separation between houses anyway. Mm -hmm. So are, are those also the concerns of uh, homeowners? I think those are some of the concerns of, of homeowners too. You think they're legitimate? I think they're they're understandable. I just don't think they are, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Like when you when you implement incremental zoning changes, which is what this is, you don't see wholesale change overnight or even in a year or two. It's really something that's intended for, for long-term uh, changes uh, over time. I don't know, Dave, the rate that this, this college housing has been going up in Bloomington is, is pretty quick. Yeah. So well, it can happen. I have, I, have a, I have a point to make about that though. So I want you to imagine, let's say tomorrow, we bulldoze all of those student-oriented apartment buildings, right? Uh, and so now thousands of college students would have to find a place to live, right? And where would they live? They would, they would go find open spaces and homes or other apartments. And what would that do to rents and prices? With thousands of people competing over even more scarce housing now, it would drive prices and rents up. And so I think it's totally understandable that people see these large apartments, apartment buildings going up and they don't see price and rent relief. Um, but then you take those buildings away and things would be much worse than they are already. And so these changes are really, I know people think about the short term, um, but these changes are intended for long-term improvements in our, our housing stock in Bloomington. So I think a lot of folks are concerned about the character of the neighborhood. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, growth in Bloomington. Every year we, we get about a 1% population increase. So that leads us to building, needing to build about a thousand units of housing uh, just to keep up with that population growth. Uh, so one of the things that, that we've heard from uh, our neighbors is, hey, we're worried that uh, outside developers are going to come in and that they're going to convert, you know, uh, the quaint house next door into uh, a multiplex that where I have students, you know, throwing parties or whatever else it may be. Um, and 
Uh, one of the things that, that people need to realize, like Dave is saying, that this won't be sudden, drastic, incremental change. Uh, it will be incremental change. Um, that um, we want neighborhoods that aren't just one type of housing. We want diverse communities. Uh, kind of, if you want to look at Sesame Street, that uh, was a diverse community with, with several types of housing. Um, you don't want to just create a zone uh, where it's just students because then maybe that will encourage that type of behavior. You want folks to live together and to know their neighbors. And when we do that, it creates better communities for everyone. Everyone should be allowed. In the, uh, in the, the new ordinance, there was a reference to R1 and R4, which were elements of this ordinance that needed to be approved. And, uh, somehow this would allow development of larger multifamily spaces such as duplexes, tri triplexes, and fourplexes. Would this apply to, what are the areas where all this would apply to? It, would this be more towards the um, center of downtown or what communities would be impacted? And you know, going towards neighbor concerns, if all of a sudden you're living in your single family residential unit and all of a sudden a bulldozer is coming around the corner and tearing down your neighbor's house, there could be some trepidation there, but but what's the what's the impact throughout the city? Is this every neighborhood or what neighborhoods will be directly impacted? And then if you can explain the R1 and R4 elements to this a little bit more. Yeah, so the idea of, of zoning changes for an entire city is that it reduces the, the chance that you're gonna have really intense development in just a couple areas where you change the zoning. And so um, making this a citywide goal, um, you know, it brings everyone, uh, it brings everyone into, uh, you know, having this responsibility to over time, make the, the housing ecosystem a little more, a little more inclusive uh, and affordable. Um, as for R4 uh, versus R3 versus R2 versus R1. So the, the R4, um, zones are the zones that are intended to be a little more dense and a lot of these zones would would be you know if the the zoning map is approved um, you would find R4 zones in many of the neighborhoods that are, are close to to downtown um, some folks call me call these the the core neighborhoods um, as for what you can build in those you know R4 zones um, you know when we talk about allowing quadplexes I think a lot of folks don't understand that those quadplexes, they would have to conform to the same sizes and dimensions as a single family home currently has to conform to. So these are not buildings that are going to be any bigger than a single family home can be in those neighborhoods. It's just you would be allowed to house more families in them. Um, and buildings that allow more families, even if it's just a duplex where you can fit two families there instead of one, those are always going to be more affordable either to rent or to buy than a, a detached single family home. Okay, um, well, just as a quick follow up, uh, my, my particular concern is in Bloomington, we have very, very strong uh, neighborhood associations. Mm -hmm. And some people live in housing in, in subdivision where there's a housing association. Mm -hmm. uh, do do these associations weld a lot of uh, power and control over what happens, uh, or or are they all of a sudden sort of um, diminished in their authority to dictate what goes on in these particular uh, residential dwelling side uh, neighborhoods? Fox, you want to take that? So, I mean, if, if you have let's say a neighborhood covenant 
uh, it's going to have some things in place that are going to still supersede. Um, there, we might see some changes, uh, but there are a lot of protections, kind of what Dave was doing at, that are built in here. There are going to be offsets. Uh, there are going to be requirements that you maintain the character of your neighborhood. Uh, it's not that we're just going to uh, suddenly open up uh, Bloomington's downtown neighborhoods and, and allow giant square buildings with uh, tons of loud neighbors. It's that the, there has to be some cohesiveness that's still built into the structure. And there will still height limits. Uh, you basically stuck to kind of what Dave is saying, a um, building a structure that is still pretty similar to a, a single family home in size and, and most of the things that I think would matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you if you drive around some of these neighborhoods, you'll find some giant single family homes where you know you could easily fit three or four families in there, but that's illegal. You cannot do that in the city of Bloomington. Um, well, a lot of these homes were built back though, um, 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. So those are red brick homes, perhaps, or those are older dwelling units. Um, but I guess with the covenants that you spoke of, Box. And you said that in some cases they would supersede even the zoning. Do you think that residents will all of a sudden rush to get new covenants put in and vote on these new covenants to stifle? I see you smiling. Uh, what could potentially happen from all? This? He's smiling because they've done that already. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be there will be some tactics that you see that will be taken up. Some of the, the downtown neighborhood has uh, already become a historical. Uh, uh, space where the character of buildings have to go before additional scrutiny before anything can uh, be done to alter them. So you couldn't just tear down some historic home, uh, of course. So there are going to be regulations that are going to protect, uh, like I said, the character of, of neighborhoods and cities. Ideally, uh, you want no neighborhood to go through any type of severe change. You would want to see a small change small changes spaced out incrementally through cities. Uh, so everyone moves just a little bit to make space uh, rather than making any large demand from any particular neighborhood. And I think uh, we have a large downtown area that is really desirable and uh, we can make space for, for more folks. If I could live in a duplex uh, downtown, I would certainly do that. You know, the... Um... Some might think that the pressure valve lies in the county. The easiest solution would be for the county to just open up uh, some land change their zoning laws, uh, zoning regulations, uh, because the county has a wide open space, the city does not. But if you do that, you're probably looking at major transportation issues. Public transit just doesn't exist uh, out in the county. And then you have working folks um, many of whom, including college students, just couldn't afford the cost of transportation. Uh, the, the, there would be daycare issues, transporting children back and forth uh, over the increased distance. But my question is, is there any kind of liaison with the county to come along and try and address this issue as well? I love this question. <laughs> I, love I, I this knew question you would, Dave. So much, because I am a huge believer that these issues need to be addressed collaboratively between the city and county because there's not a city housing market and a county mar housing market. There's not a city job market and a county job market. We're all the same community. Um, 
And uh, when you go out into the county, you do see a lot of, of large lot, single family subdivisions being, being developed. Um, in fact, I wrote, I wrote these down before uh, the show today. 75% of all new housing units in the past two years in the county are, are single family homes. Four duplexes went in in the entire county the last two years um, and not a whole lot of, of apartment buildings. If you look at the, the urbanizing area of the county, so the area just outside the city, that's the fastest growing part of, of Monroe County. Uh, desperately need more types of, of, of homes there, uh, especially for the very large percent of our county that is lower income and just cannot afford to own or rent a single family home. Uh, and so the county is also going through a, a zoning ordinance rewrite. The last time that happened was in 1997. Um, I just finished a, a year on the county plan commission um, and was trying to be a voice for more inclusive, a more inclusive county uh, zoning ordinance. Um, and you know, quite honestly, it wasn't appreciated that much. Uh, so it's a difficult issue uh, and I totally agree 100%. We need some sort of, of collaborative approach. There are some ways in which um, city and county planning is institutionalized through the um, Bloomington and Monroe County Metropolitan Planning Organization. Um, I wish we had more institutions like that that took a broader, uh, a broader picture, but I, I think it might take sort of an effort um, from the outside by some uh, housing organizations and community organizations to get both the city and county together and and think of, of broader um, long-term solutions to our, our housing needs. On that note, if, you, if you've just joined us, just want to quickly throw an ID in here, uh, Box. If you've just joined us, we are having a rather informative and stimulating conversation on the whole notion of of Bloomington's Unified Development Ordinance. Uh, with us, we have Monroe County Human Rights Commissioner Vox Booker and Dave Warren, founding partner at Cardinal Analytics and Planning Associates. And they're helping us demystify this whole uh, initiative, this whole ordinance that uh, honestly is probably flying over the heads of several residents, but uh, is getting some concern and some pushback in other sections. So Vox, you began to have a, uh, either a contributing point to Dave's last comment or perhaps uh, some new insights, so go ahead. So yeah, so when you wanna look at zoning, yes, you wanna, you wanna see housing as an entire community where it's going to include the city and the county in some areas. Uh, it, it's a both and. Uh, uh, the, both the city should be becoming more dense and the county should be making space as well. We wanna see a myriad of, tech, of tactics uh, in play here to really make systemic change there's not going to be one magic bullet solution. It's not like we're going to add duplexes and suddenly uh, we're a city with lots of housing uh, that has a price at accessible points. It's not going to be that easy. It's going to be that we need to make sure that we grow uh, smartly, that, that we're adding diversity of housing in those poor neighborhoods, uh, that we're making changes in the county zoning ordinance uh, to allow some increased density there uh, and some different styles of housing. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also a, a overarching theme to all this is uh, housing is the most intersectional issue in our community. And a lot of the other issues like homelessness that we're seeing in the city are all impacted by the zoning ordinance that we have. Mm -hmm. On that note, um, 
Are there perceived racial inequities that can be created by the adoption of this ordinance? So I think there, so when you look at single family zoning, which has been historically uh, that American bread and butter, what, what everyone wants, uh, that has led to the greatest growth and in inequity in American history. It was literally what created uh, ghettos and, and a lot of the problems that uh, plague minority communities today. In Bloomington, you could you could look at it play out where a lot of these neighborhoods and that and those poor areas had uh, racist, just outright racist uh, covenants. That uh, I remember reading one. It said that uh, you could only sell the house to a member of the pure white, uh, pure white race, uh, unless someone was a domestic servant uh, living with a family. Uh, so I think you would see a lot of these covenants overlapping uh, with today's neighborhood associations, and there's kind of uh, a wet thread that that weaves through there. Uh, that if you want to have more equitable and inclusive cities. One of the tools to do that is to uh, allow more than just single family zoning. Yeah, do you mind if I go back um, a little bit more too with that? So, Please do. Uh, and as you know, as we all know, we had uh, redlining, which existed you know, from the uh, for a period of 30 years in this country, um, which, by the way, was started by a, a Democratic president, uh, FDR. Um, gave us redlining, also put a lot of uh, Japanese Americans in camps. I point that out to just point out that, you know, sometimes uh, people pass policies with a certain uh, intention to, to help. And then years later, we find, oh, that was absolutely the worst possible thing we could have done. Why did we do that? Um, and so it helps us think about, well, are we doing that today with any of our policies? Um, and so anyway, we had redlining, we had racial um, covenants that banned anyone but white people from living in certain neighborhoods. Those two things were made illegal uh, in the, the 60s. Some of the racial covenants were made illegal before that, but redlining became illegal in the 60s. And then you saw a lot of, of communities around the country turn to single family zoning as a way to exclude lower income people from certain communities. Well, we know from the data that uh, income and wealth are highly correlated with race and ethnicity. Uh, in Indiana, um, from the census data, we know that uh, uh, black families make $25,000 per year less than, than white families. Um, Hispanic families make something like $20,000 less than, than white families. Um, the, the racial wealth gap is, is 10 to one. Uh, white families have 10 times more wealth than black families. That stems from these past uh, inequitable policies, redlining, racial covenants. Um, and, and so the reason why so many communities today are looking at zoning as a way to reduce some of these uh, disparities in, in housing is because we already know there are these racially inequitable uh, things that exist in our society we know that communities are prioritizing the most expensive type of house. And so by doing that, you're by definition excluding certain types of people from, from certain neighborhoods. And that's something that you know, I personally just think is, is wrong. Um, and a lot of other communities are, are starting to, to realize that. Oregon actually banned the use of single family zoning for uh, all cities above 10,000. Um, 
So uh, at the end of June, there isn't a single city in the state of Oregon over 10,000 that is allowed to have exclusively single family zoning. So this isn't just something for large cities. This is something for, for cities of all, si uh, all sizes that are dealing with uh, inequities. So th this UDO, is it uh, more focused on including people or is it specific to allowing more of a certain type of home uh, based on who's able to afford that home? Does that make sense? Yeah, I get you. I think legally how you attack those problems through policy is, is when you make uh, a diversity of housing, you tend to bring a diversity of people. Uh, so, you know, you can't today pass a law that exclusively promotes uh, one group or, or bans another group, uh, but those those policies still have realistic incomes. Dave rightfully pointed out the, the wealth gap by race. Um, so if you want uh, to have a neighborhood that, that is almost exclusively white, all you have to do is price it out of the point of most minorities and, and you de facto uh, have that segregation. So whenever you're going to, to make a neighborhood more equitable by putting in a diversity of housing and housing type uh, and also price point, you're just naturally going to make it a more equitable place. And there is some, there is some very understandable pushback there too, where, where folks say, well, these new, you know, a new duplex or new triplex, it's gonna be really expensive. And that's true, new housing is expensive, um, but a new duplex or triplex is always going to be more affordable than a new single family home. And the other, the other area where this improves affordability throughout a city is when you have a new home that's built. Uh, when people move into that new home from elsewhere in the community, they're typically moving out of older, more affordable homes that then open up for other folks. Um, I, most of us have never bought or rented new housing, right? Like we've only bought used housing. We've only rented used uh, apartments, uh, but you can't have that broad used housing market, whether it's homes or apartments, unless there are new buildings uh, being built. Uh, and if you only are building new single family homes, there's less, uh, there are fewer homes for people to move into to uh, open up homes for, for other folks in the community. One thing I've always uh, been curious about the, Bloomington has the most expensive housing market almost in Indiana. I mean, there may be a pocket somewhere else in Indiana where this oh, is. Oh, Bloomington is it. Yeah. <laughs> Try to be kind. Um, <laughs> How does this address that? You know, we, we talked about making housing more affordable and William, you sit on a uh, commission which is striving to look at that. And uh, how do we sort of trend things downward? We're not, we're not cheapening the valuation of property, but you know, we talked about equity. Uh, you know, I know buyers that are thoroughly frustrated because they are very expensive, but then again, inventory down here is so short that uh, property is not going to stay on the market long. So, I mean, market demand is sort of fueling this, but is there a concern to maybe put a halt to that? And how do you do that? So or to we'll, rein we'll, that in rather than say put a halt to, uh, how do you rein that in? So we're going to continue to grow. As long as Bloomington is a desirable community, we're going to see uh, increased population growth. Uh, the way to, to kind of bring that, uh, bring that in, so to say, is to uh, make sure that you're doing a lot of different things. One of those things is just 
basic supply and demand. As long as there's a, a short supply right now, we, we stay at around a 97% occupancy rate. Uh, so most of that turnover is just literally just people moving from one place into another place. Um, so we need to continue to build more housing. Uh, we, we've got, like I said earlier, to build a thousand units a year just to stay up with population growth. Uh, we need to diversify the types of housing. We need to make sure that we're allowing folks to, you know, do they want a tiny home? Do they want a duplex? Uh, do they want a, a single family home? Uh, that may be low maintenance or, or, or one story, or do they want to build a, a, a ADU, which some people call granny flats, because they uh, have a mother-in-law that's aging and, and they want her to be close. Um, it's going to take a, a myriad of tactics, but we've got to have the willingness to engage in, in all those tactics. And it's going to, to uh, be some changes to neighborhoods. I don't think they have to be large changes, but, uh, nothing is meant to stay the same. And, and as long as, as there's kind of a pushback against progress, uh, we're going to see uh, this pattern continue where uh, more and more folks are priced out of, of, of living uh, in the city. Well, hey, hang on a second. So you said nothing stays the same. So what, what do you say to a homeowner who says, I don't care who lives in my neighborhood, uh, I don't care about the color of their skin. I don't care what level their income is. I don't care if they got an ear in the middle of the back. But I chose this neighborhood because one, I like the character. Uh, two, I like the open space that that it provides, uh, the separation, and I paid a premium to live here. Um, so if nothing stays the same, is this UDO proposing that all neighborhoods all housing developments in Bloomington come under that umbrella of possibly having multi-units included in that neighborhood. Yeah, I guess to, to that I would say, you know, anyone is is totally entitled to have to have that opinion and petition their government to, uh, you know, protect their neighborhood as as they would like it to to remain. Um, but you know, one person doesn't have veto power over what happens in a in a neighborhood. No, 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 not one person. This right. whole neighborhood was uh, built on that premise, and people, the the community bought into that neighborhood because of what it had to offer. So, so we're not talking one person uh, getting to dictate how everybody else lives. You have not one person, but you'll have cases where a, a neighborhood gets together and says we don't want this policy change because we don't want our neighborhood to to change, and that's totally fine. They have they have the right to do that. Um, but you know, look at Bloomington. One third of Bloomington owns homes, um, so that's already a really small uh, share of of the population. Um, and it's just a, a small share of that one third of the population that owns homes that tends to be really vocal uh, about this stuff. And so I think a question to answer is, is it fair for a city council say, to treat that really small group of, of folks um, special? Um, is, it, is it fair to give them protections um, at the expense of the entire community that desperately needs more housing choices? Um, and, uh, you know, is it fair to Bloomingtonians who aren't even born yet, who in 2040 are going to depend on us right now to be making policy decisions that lead to a community that's more affordable and more equitable when they are, uh, you know, uh, 
renting or, or buying houses themselves. And Bloomington is certainly not the only city confronting this issue. Correct, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think it kind of goes down to, to that issue of who will we be? Um, when I said that, that, that the change is, is constant, I meant that, but we're going to change. It's just deciding how we change. Uh, if we want to be the more inclusive community, uh, it's going to be require us embracing some of those changes and, and moving in smart ways. Not necessarily only just being concerned about ourselves right now and what we want, but like Dave is going to, is uh, thinking about the Bloomington of the future and what we would want for others. Uh, I understand that, that uh, you know, I don't want a single family home with a big yard. Uh, I need to be thinking about uh, all other folks going to, to have needs that are different than mine. Community is kind of a shared contract and it only functions well if we have the best interests of our neighbor at heart as well. And that sounds great. But I go back to an earlier question about how HOAs and neighborhood associations are quickly uh, changing their covenants. Uh, and of course, those antiquated covenants that are discriminatory need to be changed. But uh, blocking sort of the implementation of this ordinance in some neighborhoods as a tactic, uh, I see that increasing more. Are there efforts to get more buy-in from community voices um, in the planning of this? Did that take place or is, is that an option now? Because so there people, was there people are going to vent. They're venting about you know, so we started this process, uh, what, I feel like it's been two years ago. So there's been a lot of community outreach. Uh, a lot of folks have gotten to weigh in. Uh, some folks feel like, you know, the pandemic disrupted that process. Uh, and, and should we go back and re-examine? Um, but I think we have uh, some sound leadership in our community, folks like Jim Sims, that are very good at listening uh, to the concerns of multiple groups of people uh, in navigating a, a path forward. And I think that there's always going to be those folks that are like, okay, we're going to make sure that we try to uh, insulate ourselves every way we can, protect ourselves, whether it's changing uh, covenants or, or whatever that, they, that we've seen done throughout history. Uh, but there's just got to be a compromise that, that can come in. And I don't mean necessarily compromise on policy, just, uh, really us thinking about what's the best for the entire community. And once again, if you've just joined us on Bring It On, we're having a stimulating conversation with Monroe County Human Rights Commissioner Vox Booker and Dave Warren, founding partner at Cardinal Analytics and Planning Associates. And they're helping to sort of uh, uh, give a greater understanding to the City of Bloomington's Unified Development Ordinance and the impact it will potentially have on residents. And to that point, I want to raise a question, Dave, you began uh, to elaborate a little bit on how this may impact our elementary schools and and just uh, how the different zoning changes may impact the planning and development of schools. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Sure, yeah. So in Bloomington, like most places in the United States, where you live determines which school you go to. Um, and so if you, if you map uh, MCCSC elementary schools, um, you will find there is incredible variation in poverty within schools across the community. So for instance, Childs Elementary, 
uh, 9% free and reduced price school lunch, which is a proxy for um, child poverty in schools. Now you drive 11 minutes from Childs Elementary to Fairview Elementary, which by the way, Fairview Elementary, awesome school. MCCSC schools are, are awesome. Um, but you drive 11 minutes from Childs to Fairview and Fairview is 83% free and reduced price school lunch. And we know from excellent research that when you have classrooms full of low-income students, those students are going to have a harder time uh, learning and succeeding than when they're in classrooms with a more diverse mix of students, uh, and especially in classrooms where there's almost no poverty. Um, and so when you look at areas like where Childs is or where Binford Rogers is, lots and lots of expensive single-family homes. Uh, you drive you know, over to Fairview and there's much more housing diversity uh, there. Um, and so, you know, zoning plays an impact on, on school inequities because when you have areas where it's just a sea of, of expensive single family homes, um, the students who go to schools in those neighborhoods, they're going to tend to be uh, wealthier kids from wealthier parents who have more resources to spend on, on education. Lox, do you have an observation on that? Yeah, well, I think you could you could take that same dynamic that he's talking about and, and apply it in a lot of ways. If you want to talk about uh, policing, you're going to see that these neighborhoods that have housing diversity are uh, often the more police neighborhoods. If you want to talk about food deserts, you're going to see that the food deserts exist in, in these certain neighborhoods. Uh, and we need to, to really look at our policy kind of hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, hey, can we do better? And I think that uh, moving in this direction of creating some uh, increased housing diversity is just one of the absolute needed steps that Bloomington has to go through. Are there provisions in this version of the UDO that address both of those points, inequities in schools, and then some of the dynamics you just mentioned, Box? So I don't think that the policy expressly is written to address those things. I think it just uh, happens as a matter of fact from being policy born. You know, uh, a policy doesn't always mean to have a certain impact. Uh, but we, we know, especially we as black folks understand that uh, sometimes you can take the most innocuous policy and it have huge repercussions for communities. What about um, annexation? which is, uh, anybody's guess, Bloomington is probably gonna be looking at that again at some point in the future uh, because of uh, some recent court decisions. But how, how would that affect this uh, UDO, in your question. opinion? It's a good question and I agree. Annexation is a, is a huge issue. And I think uh, worries about annexation kind of cloud some decision-making in both the city and the county. Um, but back to your question, what would annexation mean for the UDO. Well, if the city annexed more county land, then I assume the, that land would fall under the zoning provisions of the UDO, although I would have to look into that to confirm that. Um, personally, I'm pretty agnostic about whether or not the city annexes land. I think I care most about uh, local governments just using their land equitably and efficiently. And so if the city of Bloomington never grows uh, again, I would hope that at least they're using their land really efficiently and pursuing policies that lead to more equitable outcomes. Um, I think there's uh, it is some in the county, I think there is some uh, hesitation 
to allow more uh, dense development at the really close to the, the boundary of the city because there's some fear that if that much needed development goes in, then the city will see that as, as really uh, valuable and they might want to, to annex that, that land. Uh, I think those are kind of silly things to worry about. I think we should make it, be making decisions that are, are best for, for people in the community and not worrying about um, what the city might or might not do with respect to annexation. Vox, what are your thoughts? So I definitely think there are some areas uh, of the county that will have basically become the city and can be annexed. Um, but I do think it's a separate issue that we shouldn't make policy uh, from what ifs or, or fear-based uh, ideas. Uh, we don't know exactly what will be annexed, but we do know uh, what policy uh, needs to be passed. We do understand that whether... Uh, whether or not you live in that fringe area or if you live in the city proper, that you're seeing an increase in housing prices, that you're seeing uh, an increase in demand for housing. Uh, and uh, no matter what, we're going to have to make space for new neighbors. They've got to live somewhere. Uh, the, the question is, are we going to do it in a smart, equitable way? Hmm. One more thing, man, it'd be great to get more public transit out into the urbanizing area of the, of the county. Yeah. So that can be done with or without annexation, but that is, is definitely something I think both the, the city and county need to be thinking more about. Right. Uh, as a follow-up to that, how does the university impact all this planning? I mean, the university is a big, huge footprint and they have a lot of political might. So how does how does that impact what you're doing? I'm looking at silence. Go ahead. All right. So the university uh, is its own entity and, and uh, a lot of the uh, local regulation doesn't impact the, the um, university because it, it's basically a branch of the state. Uh, but we know that, that the university of course plays a, a deep role in the community and also on uh, the supply and demand of housing. So uh, the university seems to be intent to continue to grow uh, and as, as it grows, uh, it's going to put more of a demand on our housing market. Uh, IU, I think, is, is one of the, the top 20 schools uh, in attracting uh, wealthy students. Uh, so uh, the folks that they're going to be bringing in, in a lot of cases, are going to, to look at some of these housing prices and think that they would deal. Uh, so they're not hurt uh, by housing being expensive. The, the people who are hurt are the folks that, that uh, come from, from humble little backgrounds that may be lifelong Bloomington folks, uh, maybe folks that came here and just decided to stay because they love the community. Uh, and they might not have the financial ability to compete with some of these uh, other folks. So uh, one of the things that we can look at again is, is to, it's going back to diversifying housing uh, opens up more possibilities on who your neighbor can be. Well, let, let me ask you a question. It, at some level, as time progresses, do you think that this problem um, might end up addressing itself to some degree? Because the more, uh, and you see this in, in many of the uh, larger metropolitan areas, the more dense the population becomes, people start moving out. And, and that takes place uh, over several years. Um, so do, do you see that happening here and would that provide some relief for the problem? So, oh, go ahead, Vox. Go ahead, David. 
Go ahead, David. Yeah, so I, I'm going to say we already are seeing people moving out, and we don't really have that dense of a, of a community, and people are moving out because it just costs so much to live here. Yeah. Um, um, also, you know, we don't want to be a community where people don't want to be here like that that would solve our our housing woes right if all of a sudden people were like man i don't want to live in bloomington i'm going to get out of here and our population started declining then we wouldn't have a problem but then our problem would be we'd be a lousy place to live um and so you know the way you get around this is you just add more types of homes modest homes that that people really want but that the the government right now is saying is illegal uh in most residential zones in in bloomington if, if i could jump in um going back to the university's impact okay from my vantage point you have a lot of students that attend indiana university and they're you know routinely building new structures and expanding uh its its footprint and the dynamic is that a lot of students come to bloomington they love their experience. They love Bloomington. They love Southern Indiana and all the amenities, recreation, the arts, all this, that, and the other. And then they don't want to leave, even with a degree. They want to create their own niches in this city. And that has gone on for as long as that university has been here. So to your point about people all of a sudden don't like it, they want to leave, I think the reverse may happen. The more attractive we make this, the more uh, you know, rewarding and fulfilling the experience of living here, People are going to want to stay here. And so that's just something that I guess move for thought as we go forward. And and uh, I see the wisdom in, in making these ordinances, to developing, designing these ordinances the last 20, 25 years. Um, just sort of let it all play out. We have about five minutes left. And I'd like to get some final reactions from both our guests as we sort of land this plane. It's been an interesting flight. <laughs> we may have to revisit it. Um, and we've not really, I think, touched the surface, but uh, if we can get some final reactions from our guests, let's go ahead and, uh, and get that done. So Vox, I'll, I'll defer to you first. Yeah, so, so once again, uh, housing is, is, is probably the most in, in, intersectional issue uh, in our community. It's going to touch uh, education, it's going to touch policing, uh, it's going to touch every aspect. Uh, if we want to make a more inclusive, a more welcoming community, a community where the students do say, hey man, Bloomington was so great. I, I think I want to stay there and maybe raise a family. Um, I think those are all good things and in, in that we should welcome folks into our community, but we need to do, uh, we need to manage growth in a smart way and in a way that can make us a more compassionate, a more compassionate and inclusive community. Love that box. Um, yeah, I second that. And the reason I'm really passionate about this is because housing is one of very few things that is a basic human necessity, right? Uh, and if we had, in Bloomington, if we had a water shortage, we would go out of our way to solve that problem and we would give water to people, whatever it takes. Uh, we had a food shortage, we'd do the same thing. Um, but for some reason, you know, when we have a housing shortage, we're not using the tools that we have the authority to use as a city to solve that problem. Um, and it's resulting in higher prices, higher rents, and people moving away. Uh, and those burdens fall most on lower income folks and, and people of color. And so I really want the, the Bloomington of 2040 or 2050 to be a much more welcoming place for all uh, in a place where 
uh, everyone has the ability, whether you are, are wealthy or we're, whether you are a chronically homeless individual in need of housing first solutions. I wanna make sure that we have housing options for all of those types of people. To find out more about uh, the UDO and progress or changes, revisions, whatever, where can people go to get that information? So the, I mean, the city website has a really helpful tool that kind of explains uh, the UDO and the proposed map and changes. I don't know the, the URL to that offhand. Uh, the, city, also, uh, the homepage of the city of Bloomington would be a good landing place probably, to start the search. Okay. Yeah, I think okay. the homepage. Um, <laughs> our organization, Neighbors United, we're at neighborsunited.info, uh, I-N-F-O. Uh, and we've got some information there on the proposed changes and also we're collecting housing stories from all sorts of folks in the community um, because I think in this debate uh, a lot of times it boils down to folks in, in single family homes versus say students and, and renters and there's a whole spectrum of people in between and outside of that spectrum and so um, there are a lot of stories there from, from folks in the community and lots of different uh, housing stories. All right on, on that note we want to thank Monroe County Human Rights Commissioner Vox Booker and Dave Warren, founding partner at Cardinal Analytics and Planning Associates for helping us demystify the city of Bloomington's unified development ordinance and the impact it will potentially have on residents. And um, what was that uh, email address once again, Dave, for your organization? Oh, uh, www.neighborsunited.info. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have any ideas for this program, let's hear it. You can send your emails to our volunteer staff. Our address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We wanna make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with the listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. Once again, bring it on at wfhb.org. And also, if you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is that gentleman you were just listening to, Clarence Boone. Assistant producer is yours truly. Consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Cade Young. The program engineer is Chantal LaFontant. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effian with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am William Hosea. I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.